Welcome to Mill City Church, everybody. We're very glad to have you here. Why don't you find a seat and we will continue worshiping together. Would you say a prayer with me as we look at the scriptures this morning? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for being with us whenever we gather together. We know that you promise to always be in our midst, and, and we acknowledge your presence here today. God, we pray that you help us to see you more clearly today, that you'd help us to know you just a little bit better than we do when we came in the door, that our relationship with you would get stronger, and that that would give us courage to step into the world the way that you've created us to, that you'd increase our trust of you and um, help us to have more and more confidence that you are with us no matter what we're facing in our lives. Uh, open our eyes and our ears today as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everybody. It is cooler in here, a little bit. Some of you are veterans, right? It's slightly cooler in here. It is mind-boggling to me how you could be in a school for 10 years and then someone goes, would you like us to turn the AC on during, during the summertime? Sure, I think, right? I mean, we're up for that, right? Let's, let's give it a try this summer and see if it's better. We'll report back. We've been in this conversation, uh, just started last weekend with my friend Ramon Pastrano. If you didn't get a chance to listen to his sermon, check it out online. This, the sermon series is called Picturing God. And here's, here's why we decided to have this conversation in June. We've noticed, uh, the pastors had noticed in our conversations that a lot of you are having questions, uh, reading things, thinking about how is it that I am supposed to understand who God is when I'm in a world where people have all sorts of different opinions about who God is. And so this, this image of the picture frame is intended to help us say, what is your current image when you think of God? What's your kind of default, normal way of thinking about God? And then, how does that line up with the ways that the Bible describes God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And we're kind of working backwards because Ramon started talking about the Holy Spirit last week. I'm going to talk about Jesus today, and then next week, Stephanie will talk about the Father. Uh, I don't want you to feel like, oh, I can't believe I've screwed this up my whole life, and I really didn't know who God was. That's not the point. The point is that we're having different kinds of conversations in a plural culture, in a pluralistic culture, and you have to keep reminding yourself, yeah, what, what is my regular view of who God is? How's that affecting me? How's that uh, go? How does it have conversation with people who think very differently about God? Uh, that's kind of the point of the series that we're in. And so I want you to take out something to write with if you can. If you got a pen, there's like a million pens at Mill City, so you should be able to find one. Grab a pen, write on the back of your program or whatever. Uh, when you hear the word God, okay, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Like a descriptor. Take a second and just gut response. Like no one's going to look at your answers. Just what comes out? You hear God, what do you think about? Image, description, words, write something down. Got something? Okay, hang on to it. 
I've done this exercise with smaller groups, and we've put different ideas up on the whiteboard. And even with 10 or 15 people, even if those people are all from the same religious background, if they're all Christians, and you say, what do you think of when you hear the word God? What do you think you get on the whiteboard? A whole bunch of different descriptions, right? Images, experiences, things like faithful, loving, grace-filled, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, different things. People, you know, have all kinds of different ways of describing God. But if you have conversations with people who are in your life, in your workplace, who maybe aren't Christians, or maybe you've come to this church today checking Christianity out, but you're not a Christian yourself, you might describe God as the universe, or uh, a universal energy, or a spirit. I've heard people talking about God in all those kinds of different ways, and you might have really good reasons for thinking about God in that way. But the Bible has a very particular way of telling us how it is that we're supposed to understand who God is. The Bible recognized that trying to figure out who God is when you can't see or feel or touch God in real time is pretty tough. And so in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So just look at that verse for a second. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So John's starting out his story, his good news about who Jesus was and what Jesus accomplished by saying, this is one of the ways in which you can know who God is concretely. God in human form is Jesus Christ. That's the central claim for Christian, for Christian faith, that Jesus came as fully human and fully God to show us who it is that God is. So even though we haven't seen God in all God's fullness, we know Jesus and we know what God looks like in human form. So the Bible's trying to say getting to know Jesus is the best way to know God, put simply. But this still has a whole bunch of questions connected to it, right? So how does Jesus help us understand who God is? Uh, or the shortest version of the question that I hope you take away today. What is Jesus like? I asked some people this question this week. Like if you just had to respond to someone who has no clue what you're talking about, and they don't know Jesus, and they say to you, what's Jesus like? What would you say? And I got all kinds of different responses. One person said, uh, he's different from any person you've ever met. One person said, he's the reason that my life is turned around. One person said, he's the most generous and gracious person I know. It's kind of an odd question, though. Like, people don't walk around tomorrow. No one's going to ask you, what's Jesus like, right? But if we're saying as Christians that part of the way, the whole way that we know who the invisible God is, is through Jesus, then we ought to be able to say well, here's what I think Jesus is like. This is my experience of relationship with Jesus. So now, take a second and try the same exercise I had you do a minute ago, except um, think about the question, what is Jesus like? And write down your gut response answer to that one, okay? If someone were to ask you, what is Jesus like? What's your initial response? Go ahead and write something down.
All right, you got something? How many of you think that's a hard question? Raise your hand. Sometimes we get in the habit of talking all about God, ideas about God, things that we think are true, but the Christian faith claims personal relationship with the eternal God. And so maybe a challenging thing for all of us is, how do we talk about that relationship in real terms in ways other people can understand? We'll come back to that in, in a minute. So another way I tried to get at this was that I Googled pictures of Jesus. Okay, so I encourage you, go home or grab your phone or whatever. Google pictures of Jesus. I got some pretty interesting results. I want to show you a few examples of what I found. Okay, the first picture I found, I recognized. I call him Handsome Jesus. Okay, has anybody seen Handsome Jesus before? Some of you? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is, a, this is like a, a, a ruddy, handsome, strong, confident, cool hair Jesus, right? Don't you think? Okay, here's another one. This person I call Shepherd Jesus. Anybody seen Shepherd Jesus before? Yeah, some of you. This picture seems to indicate like a very gentle, loving, caring, compassionate Jesus, all right? Next Jesus is called Buddy Jesus. Anybody seen Buddy Jesus before? <laughs> this one, I think, is part of a, a whole media piece on, like, what if we marketed Jesus better? Like, would more people be interested in Jesus if we just marketed him better? And what if he was your buddy instead of, like, somebody who you felt like might challenge you or convict you or ask you to change something? Uh, Amazingly, when I googled pictures of Jesus, it lists like, I don't know, four or five rows of pictures, and that maybe counts, I don't know, 25 or 30 pictures. All of the first 25 or 30 response all had white Jesuses. There were no people of color Jesuses at all in the first initial like 30 results. I had to dig a little bit to find any other version of Jesus. And so here's one I found that puts Jesus in black skin. Anybody seen that one before? Some of you? All right, then I found happy Jesus, because I thought, I don't know, there's not that many pictures where Jesus just seems like he's having a great time. And then this one really struck me, like, well, he's, he's exceptionally handsome and happy in this particular picture. Then there was this picture that some of you I know have seen, I think it's put together by Time Magazine, where they were trying to say, what would an actual Israeli Middle Eastern Jesus look like during that time? And they came up with this picture here. So uh, based on his, what we know about his ethnic background and the, the time and place, this is maybe a more accurate view of what Jesus might have looked like. They didn't have, pic they didn't have photos back then. It's not a photo of Jesus. It's a remake, just, just to be clear. Middle Eastern Jesus, I called him. Okay, then there's heavenly Jesus, who's just, you know, in a different space, right? In a kind of, not really in the world, kind of in a heavenly space and interacting with us in some way. There are lots of pictures of Jesus on the cross. Here's one of them. Um, lots of different kinds of images of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. And then these, these next two that, uh, might be offensive to you, but uh, I think indicate the point that I'm trying to make with all these different pictures. So the first one is just American Jesus. So this is Jesus where his robe is an American flag. And then the next one is, uh, I just call them gun Jesus because it's a picture of Jesus with a gun. 
And there were lots of these. You can go ahead and take those down. Um, there were lots of these pictures where people had taken, you know, things that obviously wouldn't have gone along with Jesus because there was no United States of America when he was alive and there weren't guns. But they had taken those things and put them into an image with Jesus for some, for some reason or another. And the point of looking at all these different images is that it's a tendency, as Ramon hinted at last week, for us to try to make God mostly like us, and, and therefore also to try to make Jesus mostly like us, that Jesus looks like us, and Jesus talks like us, and is concerned about the same things that we're concerned about. And it's helpful if you have images that reinforce that bias. So maybe you grew up in a church where you never saw a picture of any other color Jesus than a white Jesus. When we all know in the room that there was no white Jesus. Jesus was not white. Just sorry if that's new information to you, but he wasn't a white person. There were all white Jesuses in the church that I grew up in. So, um, you know, there's some good in that. Like, we want to see yourself in Jesus and Jesus in you. That's a good instinct. But when it comes to the point where we've pretty much just made Jesus in our own image, then we have a problem, right? So what I want us to do this morning a little bit is to recognize this tendency that we have to make Jesus look mostly like us and try and learn about what Jesus is like from the stories in Scripture and from what we've experienced ourselves and then let who Jesus is challenge us rather than the other way around. And that's really hard to do. Um, and it means that we have to be vulnerable and open ourselves up to being kind of critiqued by who Jesus is rather than us critiquing who Jesus is and making him more like us. So I, I try to think of a personal example of this, and here's what I came up with. That those of you who know me a little bit better know that I'm a super competitive, high achiever type person. And so lots of my life has been seen through this lens of, like, how do you beat people at things, whether you're playing sports or taking tests or whatever. And then how do you get, uh, those of you who are achiever types know, like I start my week with all these crazy check boxes. And then like the more boxes I can check off determines how successful my week was. Those of you who are relational are like, I, I would just die. That was my life, I would totally die on the first day. You know, so I have these sort of tendencies, part of how God made me personality wise. But then it was easy for me to see at different points in my life where I've just made Jesus into a competitive achiever. And then I realized like, Jesus will be happy with me if I compete well and I achieve a lot of things, which might be true sometimes, but certainly isn't Jesus' default position in the world. His gospel, his good news, isn't beat everybody at everything and get more done than everyone else. That's not in the Bible, right? So then at some point, I have to come to terms with realizing that the real Jesus, to the best of my ability, actually wants to sometimes say to me, yes, I made you a competitive person. It's important to get things done, but there are other things that are more important than that often in life. So a story like the story of Mary and Martha, which is a story about two sisters who are kind of arguing. Mary's choosing to spend time with Jesus when she has the chance, and Martha's wishing she would work harder and help her get the, get the kitchen ready for the people who are coming over. Like, I love Martha. Martha's getting stuff done. I'm with Martha. Anybody else is a Martha person? Exactly. Why are these lazy people just hanging out with Jesus? What is wrong with them? And Jesus has to confront Martha and say, look, you, 
You've picked the wrong thing. Getting the kitchen stuff done right now is not as important as sitting here and being with me because I'm not going to be with you in the same way the whole time. So this is an example. Like, Think about your own personality. Think about your own way of just living in the world and say, are there ways in which I've taken that and kind of just projected it onto Jesus and made Jesus mostly like me in these areas? I know it's very hard to do, but, but try, okay? Try. So, uh, what is Jesus like? How do you picture Jesus? This is actually a form of the primary question that the disciples are asking when they're following him around. So there's several conversations that we have recorded in Scripture where Jesus asks them as part of their training, who do you think I am? Right? Who do you think I am? Who do other people say I am? Who do you think I am? He has that conversation a few times, which is kind of a weird question. Like, you don't hang out with people at a dinner party, and Ashish doesn't turn around and go, who do you think I am? That would be a strange question to ask. He's recognizing, though, that they don't fully understand his whole identity, and they're growing in their understanding of that, and they make all kinds of different guesses. He tries to help them out by sharing metaphors. He says things like, I am the good shepherd, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I'm the true vine, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He's he's trying to help them along to understand who he is. And Peter, who's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, is all he's the confident, I'm I don't even care if I'm right guy in the group, right? He just jump in and say, I know the answer to the question. So at one point he says, uh, you are the Messiah, the, the Savior, the Christ, the person who's here to rescue us, uh, sent from God. And Jesus stops and says, uh, this, you didn't figure this out on your own. God gave you this answer, and it's this answer and this belief and this faith that I'm going to build my church on, Peter. Now, Peter also, because he was a hard-charging, confrontational leader type, ended up getting himself into all kinds of busted situations. So I want to read, I want to use his story to show you how Peter tried to project his stuff onto Jesus and make Jesus like him, and that didn't work out, and show you how Jesus responded, okay? So Peter is following along with Jesus. He, he understands to a degree what Jesus is up to, uh, but he wants to fight back, right? He cuts the guy's ear off when Jesus is arrested, and then not very long later, when, when he's challenged and someone asks him, uh, did, you know, did you know Jesus? Three times he says, I don't know. I don't even know who that guy was. I had nothing to do with him because he's scared for his own life. And then at a different point, when Jesus is on his way to the hill, Peter sees him and just weeps, right? He just recognizes that he's totally denied everything he said to Jesus about being willing to stand with him all the way until death. And so after Jesus is killed, and even when Jesus comes back to life, Peter, who is this competitive, hard-charging leader type, who had told Jesus, like, we're never going through death or resurrection. I won't let anybody touch you. Stop saying things like the Son of Man has to die and be risen again. That's not how this is going to go down. We're going to take over these Romans and reestablish our authority. That's what we're going to do. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand who I am, and you don't understand what I'm called to do. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter, you can imagine, he's in this spot where he feels awful. He can barely breathe. He feels so bad about denying Jesus when Jesus was arrested. And then we have this beautiful story at the end of John where the guys are out fishing and Jesus comes to find them. 
And they're, they're out a little bit in a boat, and Jesus says, throw your net out this way, and they do, which he had done when they first met. And they catch all these fish. And as soon as they catch all these fish, Peter uh, dives into the water. can't even wait for the boat to get in. Dives into the water, rush, uh, rushes to the side, and says, recognizes that it was Jesus risen from the dead. And then they have this conversation, and I want you to notice how Jesus both um, forgives and loves John, or uh, Peter, but then also challenges him. So here, let me read this, this part of the conversation for you. It says, when they had finished eating, they ate some fish. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me, with an exclamation point. Follow me. Okay, so Peter projected onto Jesus. He wanted Jesus to be like him. He wanted political leadership and authority, and he didn't get it. And Jesus said, Peter, there's a different way of doing this. But this is what's so amazing about how Jesus shows us who God is. Because um, God could have just been real angry with Peter, right? He could have been vindictive and angry and, and given Peter what he deserved for his denial. But instead, we have this amazing story of the risen Jesus who seeks out Peter to restore the relationship that was broken between him and Peter. So I want to give you this list here, okay? If we say, what is Jesus like? I want to show you in this story uh, one way to describe, one way to answer the question, who is Jesus? First, Jesus is relational. There are lots of views of God where God, whatever the God is, is very distant from us. It is unique to Christianity that Jesus is described as somebody who has to establish relationship with us. He's seeking out a guy who even denied him three times and sent him off to his death in a way. Jesus is not distant. Jesus is not removed from our experience of our life. Jesus comes to find us in every circumstance of our life. So whether you've wandered a long ways away, whether you've never known Jesus in your whole life, whether you're just totally agnostic about God in general, or maybe you've been a Christian and you're just apathetic about your, uh, your relationship with Jesus, he comes to find you anyway. He comes to find you. And then he extends love and forgiveness, not anger or vindictiveness. God is not angry at you. 
God is not looking to punish you for things that you have done wrong, according to the way the Bible is describing Jesus here. Jesus lovingly comes back to Peter and asks him an honest question, a question that all of us have to answer from Jesus. Baseline question from Jesus, starting place question from Jesus always is, do you love me? Do you love me? Because I love you. And I've demonstrated my love for you. But I want to know. I don't, I don't really care about... All I want to know is, do you, Peter, love me? I am here. I'm with you. I've come to meet you. I want to know three times, do you love me? Because I forgive you for what you've done wrong. This demonstrates the graciousness of God, the mercy of God, that even when we have denied God to his face, Jesus comes and finds us and extends us grace and forgiveness and love and invites us into a relationship that's meaningful and life-changing. God is not angry or vindictive. God is loving and forgiving in the person of Jesus. And then, okay, he then goes on to challenge Peter. And that's my third point. Jesus is challenging. God is challenging. Jesus is not unconditionally affirming of everything that you do in your life. Jesus is not unconditionally affirming of everything that we do even as a church in our lives, right? The way of following Jesus means that we're constantly learning and growing in our understanding of who he is, which influences who we understand ourselves to be. So at Mill City, we often say, we want to accept every single person who wants to be participating in this church wherever they are, and none of us wants to stay where we are right now. We all want to grow. We all want to change. We all want to be challenged by what God has for us in our lives. So Jesus is challenging Peter here, if you love me, which is the starting place, then go and care for the people that I care about. Feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. Offer up your life even if it gets led in a direction that you wouldn't otherwise choose to go. This is a massive challenge, right? Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry about it, it's okay, you're forgiven. He says, if you love me and you know that I love you, then here's the bar, here's the challenge. You have to resubmit your whole life to whatever leadership I give to you. And he ends that statement with a follow me with an exclamation point which could be something you write on your mirror or on your refrigerator or somewhere you'll see it this week. Follow me with an exclamation point is Jesus' invitation for every one of us. Jesus is relational. Jesus is loving and forgiving. Jesus is challenging. And finally, Jesus is both Savior and King. We say that a lot at Mill City Church. Savior and Lord, Savior and King. He not only rescues us from sin and death, He calls us into a whole different way of life where we invest ourselves for the good of others and for the good of the gospel of Jesus Christ, inviting people to enter into the kingdom of God. So if you look at this list and you say, what is Jesus like? What if someone asks you what Jesus is like? You could say things like, Jesus is personal. You know, Jesus is the personal face of God for me. Jesus is loving and forgiving. Jesus is always helping me with the things that I struggle with and that I do wrong, and I always feel loved. And 
Jesus is always challenging me to be more of the person that God created me to be as I try to follow Jesus with my life. In sum, Jesus has saved me and, and the world, and Jesus is leading me on a day-to-day basis. And I can tell you stories about that. How many of you know somebody who would say, look, I'm okay with Jesus, I just have problems with the church? Anybody? All right. So I'm suggesting to you today, what if instead of starting conversations about the church, which has a whole host of problems, I'm ready to admit with you, what if we just started meaningful spiritual conversations with people by saying, how do you feel about Jesus? What do you think Jesus is like? When you say you're, you're okay with Jesus but not the church, what does that mean to you? Like, what is, what is it about Jesus that makes him okay? Wouldn't that be a fascinating conversation? And you've changed the location where you're not in a spot where you have to defend horrible things the church has done. Over the, over. You can admit those things and say, yes, we have messed up as the church and we have not followed Jesus. The most important thing for people who, who aren't Christians is to meet Jesus, right? Not us. We don't care if they're members of Mill City Church, particularly. We want them to know who Jesus is because Jesus does things faithfully and honestly and with integrity, and we fall down sometimes, don't we? So let's change that conversation. It'll force you to think about what is it that you really know and like about Jesus. It'll also give you a whole different way, a different platform for having a conversation with somebody else who might really be interested in God but can't get over the fact that they have had bad experiences with the church or have read about bad experiences with the church. Let me invite the band to come up and the communion servers to come down. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, I want to finish by reading you this passage. I'm not going to explain it in detail, but Paul writes this summary here uh, about who Jesus is and how Jesus reveals God to us from jail. So he's in jail. And he's writing to the church in um, Colossians. And he says, um, here's a short summary of basically what I'm in jail for, what I believe about who Jesus is. And I wanted you to hear this this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus, we we love you. We hear you asking us this morning if if we love you. We say back to you as a church, in all of our imperfect lives, in our perfect selves, we love you and we want to love you. So so help us. Help us to receive your forgiveness and your love and your grace and your mercy and help us also to receive the challenge of following in your footsteps. 
You do not leave us, God, where we are now, but you call us into greater and deeper relationship with you. We thank you, God, for sending Jesus to show us what you are like in our own bodies, in our own likeness. We pray, God, that you help us to not make you in our own image, but allow who you are to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us, to go and make other disciples, teach other people to follow me the way that you've learned, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of that passage, he says, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's the amazing thing about the Christian hope and what, who we know God to be, that God is a with us God to the point where Jesus even became one of us show us how much he loves us and how much he promises to be with us. So as you go out today after this last song into the world, I hope you'll feel that Jesus is with you and and has an idea for how you can be part of the things that he's doing in the world. Look for one person this week. Look for an opening. I know it's risky to just ask one person what they think Jesus is like. You can tell them you're doing research and your pastor forced you to. What is Jesus like? And what do you think about him? Go in peace today. Uh, Let's enter into this last song together.